0: this episode of Athletic Training Chat presented by Mueller Sports Medicine. I'm here today with uh, Chris Hamm. He is the Director of Sport Performance for Vanderbilt Baseball. Previously, he was also the Athletic Trainer for Vanderbilt Baseball. He also spent some time at Belmont, correct? Correct. Belmont and Illinois. Um, So a little background on how I know Chris is I just finished, I guess, the rotation down with Vanderbilt baseball. Oh, shortened rot- Yeah, shortened <laughs> rotation with uh, everything going on with the coronavirus. But um, so yeah, I actually got put in touch with him a little bit before. I just forgot to email you. He, Chris, was one of the students of one of my professors, Renee Reckelberg. So correct. We, yeah. So back in the day there. So. I'll kind of turn it over to you, Chris, if you just want to kind of talk about where you went to school, kind of your upbringing into athletic training. So...
1: Uh, My my beginnings here are... uh, Hang on, Austin. We got somebody. I'm sitting out here. Sorry about (laughs) that. No No worries. Uh, And the Amazon just dropped off a package for us. Um, As far as my background and leading up to athletic training... I was a terrible college baseball player. I ended up playing two years at a JUCO in Illinois called Lincoln Trail. All right, I maxed out my time as a baseball player. And it was the best way for me to stick around the game that I wanted to, that I wanted to help out with. So I had a lot of long conversations with my JUCO, my last JUCO head coach. I had three of those in two years, ironically enough. Uh, Before I made the move to Illinois, and then when I got up to Illinois, I knew I wanted to be involved with the kinesiology program. Uh, When I got there, I wasn't too sure if I wanted to go the route of education, PE, and things of that nature. But once I got to talking to the advisors and things like that at Illinois, I knew my interest in the human body and athletics It just led me in the right direction with kinesiology, with the emphasis on athletic training and things of that nature. So I I jumped right in there. And having went to JUCO and got all those prerequisite courses out of the way, it was my Mm -hmm. opportunity at Illinois to take take those classes that were directory directly related to athletic training, the kinesiology program, the uh the biomechanics classes and things of that nature. So and once I got into those and I got into that cadaver anatomy class, I knew I was on to something that I that I was really gonna enjoy. But right. and after that it was just gonna be something that hopefully and by good timing and everything like that, I was I was gonna get a stick around baseball. And that's kinda led me to where, where I am now. So after Illinois it was a long journey of interviews and failures when it come to GA positions, internships and things like that. And so I made some good connections while I was in grad school at Belmont, got my masters there in sports administration and made those connections at Vanderbilt. So at the time when I was at Belmont, we served under this umbrella that the employees, sports medicine employees at Belmont were actually hired through the medical center. And it just And the same thing with the athletic trainers for Vanderbilt Sports Medicine. They are all hired out of the medical center, too. So I got to know those guys very well. Uh, With my time over at Belmont, I got to know Tom Bossing and the head athletic training staff over over at Vanderbilt. So I kind of blended those all in together. And like I said, timing's everything. The Mm -hmm. athletic trainer for baseball left in 2007. I was just wet behind the ears. (laughs) <laughs> kind of guy like just just fresh out of fresh out of grad school had no business getting the position that i had just because vanderbilt baseball was this program that was just starting to build itself uh the likes of david price mike minor pedro alvarez they were still there and i remember mm. just sitting there i'm like i have no business being in this position like yeah. vanderbilt was a top top program in the country in 2007 their athletic trainer just left i had Two years of grad school experience as an athletic trainer mm. with baseball. I'm like, there's no shot I'm getting this. I must have right. did something right, and I impressed somebody on an interview somehow, some way, and uh, <laughs> that started my athletic training career at Vanderbilt. So, and we can kind of get into how that led to sports performance and, and stuff like that. So,
0: oh yeah, definitely. So, how long were you the? That's like a trainer for baseball then. How many years under your so belt?
1: Oh, if my math is correct, and they've all kind of blended together now, I was the athletic trainer for seven years for the baseball oh, program at Vanderbilt. So the fall of 2007 was my first fall there leading up to the spring of 2014. Yeah, that's right, because we had just, we had just uh, won the national championship in 2014, and then there were some coaching changes, and my head coach, Tim Corbin – presented this idea to me. And we've had a lot of conversations about it in the past. And in the fall of 2014 is when I moved over to this role.
0: okay. So I guess that's a perfect lead into the next question is you spent seven years as a uh, college baseball AT. And I mean, a lot of things. Was there any one factor that drove you to the sport performance side? Was it wanting to explore something new? Was it time travel? time and traveling was it families were there any, i guess any big factors that made you make that switch over to the performance from um athletic training side
1: i wouldn't say that i wouldn't say that i wanted to be away from athletic training i had always presented this holistic sports performance model to my head coach like <laughs> everything under one umbrella when it comes to sports nutrition sports psychology sports medicine sports performance if we were all working under this one umbrella and had a common language across the board i think it would better suit our athletes mm-hmm. especially when, when it comes to our program i know we kind of work in this little bubble at at vanderbilt when it comes to baseball we're we're not with all the other athletes uh are there across the street in mcgoogan uh, we have our own baseball facility across the street. There's a small athletic training room. There's a small small weight room. There's a small nutrition center over there. So we've always had this ability to like build this small sports performance model for, for us. So that was kind of my original idea. No, I still wanted to be involved as an athletic trainer selfishly. Like, yeah. I think if the model was different at Vanderbilt, like if the athletic trainers were actually hired through athletics – um, I in the model I might have been in a position where I could have overseen both. Yeah. Um, but that's not the case and so I moved over to this sport performance role with an idea like hey let's bring on let's bring on the athletic trainer that's willing to have conversations with me about all all these small details that can help our program program excel and hopefully improve as we go along here. So no, I've always I've always enjoyed the conversations with the physicians. Uh, I miss those, actually. I miss the puzzles. Mm-hmm. I miss I miss looking at the MRIs with our team physicians. I miss, I miss those conversations with the other athletic trainers about certain issues that I actually had no idea about. I mean, one that comes to mind is, like, the foot and ankle were never really my area of expertise. I was a baseball athletic mm-hmm. trainer, so wrist, elbow, shoulder – things of that nature were more along my lines, you know, I'm going to talk to the men's basketball athletic trainer. Hey man, come help me out with this. Am I missing something or something like that? So no, mm-hmm. I, I, I really didn't want to get away from athletic training. I thought like, as long as we work together, this thing, this thing can grow and become something big for our program. You
0: know, definitely. And just talking with Chris who, uh, his episode actually dropped today, um, as you're recording that. So, No, it's definitely a nice thing, at least from what I've seen there, because going up and we can just talk to you, and it seems like it's a really easy flow of information back and forth between both the other Chris, Chris Magarazzo, the athletic trainer for baseball, and you upstairs. So I think from what I've seen in my limited time, it works really well. It's it's beautiful.
1: I mean, Chris, I I had a conversation with somebody the other day like – you and Chris are way smarter than I was at that particular time in my career. So having those people on board with me with that mm-hmm. of depth of a knowledge and trying to apply this holistic performance model to our athletes uh, and the general athletic population that we deal with, a guy that's that gifted, that talented to do the baseball things that, that he does on the field and try to get him to do those things better, ultimately. Uh, I can't do that by myself. Um, And when I was an athlete, when I was a young athletic trainer, I thought it was all on me. I really did. Like, and that's, that's why I wanted to, that's why I wanted this model more. I wanted to be able to have a conversation with the strength coach that was, was willing to make an adjustment if, if we saw something with a particular athlete or the conversations with the position coaches like what are you seeing? How are they moving with the pitchers and things of that nature? So, having everybody on a common language—pitching coach, hitting coach, athletic trainer, our nutritionist—and uh, and the athletic training staff has has made this thing has made this thing really really nice.
0: Mm-hmm. No, for sure. Um, so I guess as you made I guess more of the transition to the sport performing side, were there any? Challenges with that—it's kind of separating what you did as the athletic trainer to sport performance. I know you said that you want to still be involved in both and like both of those, but were there any challenges that you ran into right off the bat? No doubt, there.
1: There <laughs> is there is a science to sports performance, and there is an art to coaching.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I definitely. Definitely, when I first started this, had no idea how much of the art side applied to this. Uh, and I'm still, I'm still at a point, I'm still very, very young in this sports performance career. The people that I talk to have just as many years combined with athletic training and strength and conditioning that I have. They've, they've done sports performance their whole life. So there's an art and a science to this. And most of these, most of these athletes that we deal with, well, what's the? Uh, I'm drawing a blank on it right now, but they're not. They really don't care how much you know. They want to know how much you care to mm-hmm. start out with. And once we figure that out, and once we can get on the same page about goals, expectations, how to manage personalities, how to manage a team setting, things like that, that was a complete shock to me. Mm-hmm. I'm so I was so used to. The individualized setting as an athletic trainer. Like come into the athletic training room, I'll have two to three guys going at a time. I'll have a student athletic training, student athletic trainer with me. All right, help me out with these modalities. Like let's execute this plan. I got three to four guys going at once. Okay. <laughs> now let's add 35 guys to that. Let's add 40 to that. Let's add your position coaches watching you as you do this. There's an art to it. Um, And I still have a long, long ways to go when it comes to that. So that was probably the first big shock when I moved over to this thing. The anatomy, the physiology, the science behind what I was trying to apply was all given to me through my athletic training experience, through the mentors that I had in undergrad and grad school and things like that. So taking those principles and applying those to the sports performance model, yeah, that gave me a great foundation to do it but managing that managing that athlete that really wasn't having it that day or the coach had just gotten on them earlier because they had a bad performance like a couple days ago like managing personalities that's
0: that was one of the biggest shocks to me oh definitely i, I kind of want to get your thought on this with athletic training making a transition to a master's degree so requiring that four-year undergrad I think a lot of people are gonna be kind of in almost like the inverse position of yourself. Like myself. I came I had a strength and conditioning degree. I did a little with that, had a, about a year of full time experience before I got into athletic training. I found that even that experience helped me in make that transition to athletic training. I learned a lot, especially as you've talked about kind to the art and science of coaching. And I definitely that's like, something that I know that I try to use daily. So I guess do you see that do you see that as being a big benefit to the transition? Or I guess what are your thoughts on the general transition to a master's degree for athletic training? Do you think it's gonna kind of help in that aspect or I would hope so.
1: I, I would hope so. And here here's the first thing that comes to my mind. The more time and the more exposures that you have to different environments hopefully encourage encourage a better situation than what I started, especially going to grad school. Uh, mm-hmm. I know I was put in a position to succeed coming out of undergrad. My mentors were very good, and those are guys that I still talk to to this day. Mm-hmm. But put, getting myself put in that position for two more years through the master's program and those experiences that I had as an athletic trainer, I know it was a little bit different than what the – design of the program is now, I was thrust into the position as the baseball athletic trainer for Belmont in grad school. Mm-hmm. Here, you handle it, it's yours, figure out the communication aspects and things of that nature, so hopefully hopefully these, uh, the younger athletic trainers coming out of undergrad with age, with experience, and exposures through the master's program will put them in a better situation than I was put in <laughs> coming out of undergrad throwing yeah. right into that mix. That's the first thing that comes to my mind.
0: Right. All right. Um, so I guess now being on the performance side, and do you have any advice for athletic trainers? Because you talk a lot about this holistic sport performance model. And I clearly it's something that works really well at Vanderbilt. Do you have any advice for, for athletic trainers, any practical advice for them to, I guess, improve that communication and work towards that model a little bit. Cause I know that where I've been both at Milwaukee, my former preceptor with baseball, he has a great relationship with the strength coach and then they meet and they talk about a lot of the same things that we do at Vanderbilt. But I know I've also been a couple of places where that's not necessarily the case as well. So any advice for athletic trainers to kind of help bridge that gap, kind of car- What's rescue. that?
1: Kind no, of no, no. It's, it's fine. I'm just trying to figure out how to best suit this. Figure out a common language.
0: Mm-hmm. All
1: right. I think. Then that's one thing that I wanted to. I wanted to create with this this transition that I had. I was I was able to talk to the athletic trainer with. The same language that that I would I would want him to talk to with me. Mm-hmm. I think what I witnessed a lot and what made me like really want this thing to succeed and, and this model to grow is being able to have a professional conversation about something that's going on. Not not walking into a room and being like, no, Johnny can't go today. He's out. Okay, well, as an athletic trainer, I always had the mentality that I'm here to be a benefit or be an asset to our student-athletes. Yes, Johnny might have sprained his ankle. What can he do today? What are our goals? What are our long-term goals? Is it, is it two weeks away from the national championship game? Is it the first week of the season? What's going to be a benefit for him? Is it going to be a benefit there for him to say, hey, I need you to go work with the athletic trainer first. Let's take care of your treatment. Let's take care of the rehab portion of this. Come upstairs while we're in the middle of our weight room session. We'll take care of your upper body. I'll do things like that as opposed to – I know there were times when I did it as a grad assistant. I'm like, nope, he can't do anything today. He's out. And the strength coach just looks at me going – no, that 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 just puts a strain on a relationship in my opinion. So yeah. trying to find trying to find ways you can work together. Yes, I know that I know if if Chris walks into that, if if Chris walks into the weight room and he tells me that an athletes been having low back problems and things like that, we're gonna go through those contraindications. Listen, extension bothers him, rotations bothering him. All right, we can still do this, this, and this. All right, mm-hmm. I pull up my plan. We figure this out. All right, Chris, he can do this, this in the weight room. All right, we're good. We still keep the athlete in the team environment. I make sure I don't put him in a bad position. And we're still looking at the goals later along the lines, short-term and long-term, where we want these particular guys to deal with. The, the, the gentleman that I worked with, the, the strength and conditioning coach that I worked with, a couple guys prior to me moving into this position, was very good at what he did. Um, but he was very – very set in his ways like there was no there was not much adjusting to his programs and I get it I mean they worked they did I mean but I thought there was a lot of gray area that hey I think I can help you out in order to get back to where you want these guys to be and then there was another there was another strength coach that that worked in and he's actually still on staff that I was very involved in the program and stuff like that so the the progressions of return to play and things like that I helped him out with as an athletic trainer when he was in that position. So I think just having a professional conversation and a professional approach. I think if you walk into a room, especially early on in experience like me as a fresh graduate assistant out of undergrad, and you have these fine lines where these guys aren't going to do this, these guys aren't going to do that, I think you put yourself in a bad situation, like moving forward, they're going to be very hesitant to work with you. Very hesitant to uh, create
0: positive relationships going forward. Gotcha. All right. I think now we can start to move into our 85 questions. So we have five questions we ask every guest here. So All right. first up, we talked about it a little bit, but where do you see athletic training as a profession going in the next five to 10 years? A lot of things are changing right now. So I guess kind of want to get your thoughts on that.
1: Where do I see it in five years?
0: I see it as,
1: I see athletic trainers actually starting to sell themselves more of an asset to the healthcare community as a whole. Mm -hmm. I, there are, there are some athletic trainers that are very, very, very good at what they do all the way from the research side, all the way to the practical side. So if you, take the, if you take the progressions of or the continuum of this and looking at how anybody could help the healthcare community, the healthcare environment, I think it's something that hasn't been tapped into yet. Yeah, we think of your initial response to as an athletic trainer is the gentleman running out on the, on the football field taking care of the guy that's down so much, so much of that is done behind the scenes. Like these are the people that do the initial assessments, follow-up appointments, conversations with the doctors, the plans, uh, the uh, the initial the initial visits, the modalities, things like that. I think these are these are people that have a big toolbox that could be tapped into. Mm -hmm. on all levels of healthcare, uh, physicians' assistance, things of that nature, I think it's something that's going to continue to grow. Step away from that, and you look at it from a university and athletics standpoint, I think you're going to see a lot more of them involved in the things that we're trying to do here at Vanderbilt and that being applied across the board. You see it a lot in rugby. You see it a lot in soccer. Those models of everybody being on the same page and just being a piece of the puzzle. Athletic trainers, for, for the most part, are very, very smart people and can be used in a lot of aspects when it comes to healthcare.
0: Right. No, for sure. All right. So you just graduated. You, you go back in time, you just graduated. What piece of advice would you give yourself as a young athletic trainer? What piece of
1: advice would I give myself as a young athletic trainer? I'd tell myself to have deeper conversations with the patient. I was so enamored with numbers, uh, relative norms within normal limits and things like that. Like oh, it has to fit in this bubble. Uh, they have to have this much range of motion and not stepping back and understand the individuality of the athlete, where he came from, what's he dealing with? Like, the outside stresses that they're trying to handle, personal, social, everything of that nature. I really didn't do that when I was younger. It was like your ankle hurts. I'm treating this. Let's get it done. Let's get you back on the field that way. Instead of stepping back and go, all right, man, like what else is going on? How can we handle this? What can I do to help you get there just a little bit faster? And trying to think of the big picture as opposed to, yep, your ankle's big. Let's get the swelling down. Let's get moving along.
0: Yeah. No, for sure. All right. You talked a little bit about it when you were talking about mentors, but what have been some of the most? If you had to pick some of the most influential resources throughout your career, whether it be some of those mentors, whether it be a book or a course, or what do you got? <laughs> uh,
1: I'd I'd go back I'd go back to my first my first site site coordinator at University of Illinois, a guy named Randy Ballard, he's brilliant. He actually does, he oversees the performance model at the University of Illinois. So he does it like a big picture. He was in charge of women's volleyball and track at the University of Illinois when I was there. So he came from some time in Texas and some time at Kansas State, having worked football, having worked track at Texas. So he got to know these performance coaches at Texas and helped ended up helping out some Olympic athletes along the way. So looking at his model of performance, health care, the overall well-being of the athletes, I got to see that really early. He's somebody that I still talk to to this day. And and I'll go back to my, my Illinois. One of my first classes there was is kinesiology, like, 101, the book in that class is something I still have in my office. And if I have a strength and conditioning intern, that's a go-to for us. That's something we review because it covers the basics. It covers the science. It covers the the physiology of it. Not so much on the cellular level that they they tend to regress to, like, all the way back Mm -hmm. as the athletic training student. But that's one of those. And then when I got more into baseball-specific as an athletic trainer, I was, I was drawn to strength coaches that appreciated athletic training. And early on, it was, it was Eric Cressy. It was uh, Mike Reinald was actually the Red Sox athletic trainer. He does uh, champion sports performance up in Boston. And Eric Cressy actually has a facility down in Florida and up in Mass. So he was a contact that I had just because I knew what he was trying to apply when it comes to the well being of our of our athletes. So early on those two guys helped me out with some hands-on stuff and things like that. But there's so many out there, there's so many that you have to that you have to vet out now just with social media and things like that. I I've come to find out like there's some really, really good coaches out there that really aren't active on social media. They're behind mm-hmm. the scenes like they know what they're doing. They know how to apply it. They understand the science of it and things of that nature. So just, just when, you go, when you go online, make sure you do your research on, on those particular guys that you're, that you're looking up to right there. Right.
0: All right. So this is always a fun one. If you could change or eliminate one thing, whether it be a modality, common practice, mindset, whatever, in the field of athletic training. What would it be? If I had to change one thing, yeah. uh, especially early on,
1: my I, – I go back to the undergrad and, and think about some of the younger athletic trainers uh, hopefully listen to this. But I would really, really consider – I would tell my younger self this. I would really consider using passive modalities to prepare an athlete to play. I think when we came out as athletic training students, we saw a lot of ice and stem, the ultrasound machine, like all these passive modalities. Then we take them up and we watch them go, go out on the football field and actually try to do what they were doing. And it, it was like a hard slap in the face my first year trying to apply all these passive modalities to 10 to 15 guys that would come in the training room by myself. I had to get creative here. All right? The body's made to move, all right, and I got to prepare I got to prepare this thing to do athletic things. Mm-hmm. I started to think of ways to get these guys to move better without relying on those passive modality, modalities. So, my second year as an athletic trainer, it it took a lot and took a lot of deep conversations. But I eliminated. I eliminated the stem unit. And for the longest time, I would not use the ultrasound machine. <laughs> and there were, right. there were a lot of athletes that didn't appreciate my approach to that. And I'll tell you this story. And <laughs> he kind of – I had to tell him after the fact. I had this freshman pitcher come in. And this will lead to probably an ethics conversation if we get to it. But <laughs> he swore up and down. I do an ultrasound on my elbow every time before I pitch. It works wonders. I feel great. I'm on this. I got to do this. So we had conversations, and I kind of put it off. I kind of put it off. And finally, I got to the point I just, all right, right, man, we'll do this. We'll do this. I'll take care of you. I'll do an ultrasound. So I set it up. I put a little Flexol down first. I put the gel for the, the ultrasound head over to Flexol. And I put a towel over the ultrasound machine. Never turned the ultrasound machine on. Put a timer on my phone, five minutes. We just sat there, had a conversation. We did this. I took care. I made sure I did the proper surface area and things like that. Something he was accustomed to. Like I said, never turned it on. Got done. Wiped off the gel. Wiped off the flex And I go, "How you feel, man?" Moves his elbow around great. That was awesome. I appreciate you doing that. And about three or four years later, I actually told him that I never turned the ultrasound machine on when he used it. So I know that brings up an ethics conversation, but it just tells you that there are different ways to do this. There are different ways to apply it. Like as a strength coach, I'm not married to one exercise. There's so many different ways you can do a squat. There's so many different modalities that you can use on the recovery side of things. I didn't exactly throw away the STEM unit. We just did that We just did that on the recovery side of things. I didn't do that mm-hmm. on the front end of our training session in order to get them ready. So that was one of the things, like, I just went straight to that. As an athletic trainer, I go, I have to do things for these individuals. I have to apply these modalities. When in turn, I should have stepped back, should have did a little more deeper, more quality evaluations when it comes to movement. Yeah things of that nature uh, and looked at the holistic athlete
0: and, and kind of move forward. Right.
1: <laughs> but,
0: yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, with that ultrasound story, I mean, it's something that Chris and I have talked about when it comes to whether we use cups or whether you use ISDM, I mean, a placebo results is still a positive result. So. Absolutely. there, there. That applies. And, I'm I'm curious under the circumstances
1: that we're in right now, we're getting athletes that aren't in a position to get these modalities right now. They're mm-hmm. they're not in a position to get the manual therapy that they normally do. Get the massages after every training session. Get get the ultrasound. Get the cupping. Get the get the uh, the manual therapy that hands on the passive stretching that they're accustomed to getting in the mm-hmm. in this weird situation that we're in now I'm hoping that it will get these athletes to understand how much they themselves can use different movement patterns use different active ways to prepare themselves to play like yeah they're still going to have they're still going to have their soft tissue equipment they're still going to have this but not everybody's going to have the Mark Pro units. Not everybody's going to have somebody that can apply the cups, can apply the techniques or anything like that. So hopefully hopefully we haven't got to the point that we've built up these athletes to be so reliant on these extra therapies as opposed to quality movement in order
0: to get them ready to go. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. All right, final question for you. This uh, especially it's appropriate being National Athletic Training Month when we're filming this at the very end of it, but what does being an athletic trainer mean to you? Sum it all up.
1: What does an athletic trainer mean to me? Being an asset to and, and, and our environment to the health and well-being of our population. And if that means telling them that you need to go talk to somebody else that was that was the biggest part for me there were there were some mental health issues that i had to deal with and stepping away that listen i know i can help you but i'm not the person to help you but i can Mm -hmm. i know the people to have the conversations with i have the resources to help you outside of here just understanding that you are an asset to what these people are trying to do and and most of them appreciate it. I think, I think that gets that gets kind of brushed under the rug a little bit under under the athletics model, and everybody gets in a hurry. Like, how quick can we get back on the field? How quick can I get back from this? I'm missing this and stuff like that. But I think for the most part, they understand that we're here to help. And I think deep down, when I wanted to move into athletic training. That was, that was probably the biggest thing. I like helping people, and that's the bottom line. That's what we do, helping people and communicating with them on how to help them. Like I said, whether I can do it or somebody else, that's, that's probably what an athletic trainer is to me, understanding your tools and how you can help somebody and knowing in the big picture you can get these guys the right tools to
0: help them get better sooner. Oh, Rag right on, Noah. That's awesome. All right, that was the end of our questions for you. So I have anything else that you want to share or anything else you want to add to anything we've talked about so far? I hope not.
1: I hope we didn't shortchange you under the circumstances as, as a student here at Vanderbilt.
0: No, was, it, was a, it was a great experience. a short one, but no, definitely enjoyed it. It was a completely new from anything I've experienced and loved every second of it. Well,
1: good deal. I'm glad I could help you out along the way.
0: Awesome. So I guess last thing here for you, if people are, want to reach out, find you, is there a way to best get in contact with you, whether it be a social media, email? Anyone? All right, we can do email. Probably the best way is chris.ham
1: at vanderbilt.edu, and I'll just put this out there: it's one m h a m.
0: Gotcha, and we'll throw Man, a whole all right, for that. And
1: then my social media outlets, Twitter, and that's at c e h a m
0: one. Awesome. We're going to throw up a link for that in the episode sheet here, but thank you, Chris. I uh, appreciate your time. It's good to talk to you again. You too, man. I miss having you around, bud. Yeah, for sure. All right.
1: Thank you.